Hi there, I'm AR and this is the 35th log and the sixth theory looking at Pokemon. Welcome to the Lore Research Lab. Today's thesis, what can we learn about Pokemon Legends Arceus from the recent Pokemon Direct video? It is time to deep dive folks. So first off, I'm going to begin by saying that I apologize. Uh, the, this is a direct follow-up to um, my most recent upload and an extra discussing this video exactly. Um, after uh, discussing with a friend of mine, <laughs> we are both very much into Pokemon, uh, we are trying to dissect the um, video a bit more because to summarize uh the pokemon uh, company came out with some news today about some updates or okay the news today as of the time of this recording um but uh the news that they've hit us with are some new games that are coming up this year and next year so there is the spin-off called pokemon snap and then uh the highly anticipated remakes of the Generation 4 games Diamond and Pearl, which are now being reimagined on the Switch as Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, and has been discussed as a faithful remake of the original game. Uh, admittedly, this episode is not the best tuned for people who are not familiar with Pokemon, the franchise, gaming itself, so I do apologize for that in advance. Um, if you listen to uh, my Explaining Pokemon episode, hopefully this will make a little bit more sense, but I do discuss a lot of things that are quite specific to this game. So I'll be linking any necessarily, any necessarily, any necessary links in the description about this news, uh, so the videos, the information, um, as well as information about the games, uh, the original games that the Sinnoh remakes are based off of. Here's the interesting thing though, is that the topic of this episode is not about the Sinnoh remakes, Pokemon Snap, um, or the fact that we're getting a faithful remake of an older Pokemon game. I'm not here to talk about that. I am here to talk about Pokemon Legends Arceus, which is going to be introduced as a new core series game in 2022 and is definitely straying away from our typical Pokemon core formula. Again, the Explaining Pokemon episode will help, uh, help make this, uh, it'll, this will make more sense if you listen to that for sure. Um, but if you are into Pokemon, you already know what's up, you've watched the video, stick around, or not if you just like hearing me make a fool of myself, by all means, come and join me as I'm going to discuss now. Um, so that was just some housekeeping I needed to get out of the way. Uh, admittedly, this is, this is quite impromptu. I had no plans of doing anything, um, uh, cause I am still quite busy, but I really had to talk about this folks. Cause, oh, 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 Pokemon, it just hits a certain way when I get really excited about these games. So, um, to quickly summarize, uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus, did I say Arceus? Arceus? I never know how to pronounce it. Um, it's going to be a new core, core series game uh, coming out in 2022. Uh, and because of the game quite visibly straying away from what we normally see in a core Pokemon game, uh, well, some theory, it, it, it needs to happen, folks. Um, what I'm trying to say here is that I'm going to theorize about this game in the future as well. Uh, this uh, log is not a definitive theory on the game since it's going to be released in the future and what we see in the Pokemon Direct video that was released today is not finalized gameplay footage. So everything that we're seeing at this current point in time, nothing is entirely confirmed. But hopefully a lot of what we see in this video will actually appear in the game. I can't speak English, what's new? Um, hopefully this will appear in the game that we'll actually see. So let's get into it. Let's talk about what we actually see in the video before we get into theorizing. Let's, let's go to that now. I know how to segue, obviously. OK. 
Okay, so this section will be talking about the reveal itself and um, what the explanation is. So basically what information is provided to us as viewers in this release video? What do we learn and what do we see? Uh, I've taken a, like a rough list of notes. These are my initial observations. Um, I might edit in some uh, audio in the future if I notice anything else, since I might look over the trailer footage again. Uh, but I want to present at least my initial thoughts going in simply because I really want, well, one, I kind of want to get this out of the way because I think it's really interesting what this game looks like it's going to do. Um, my personal ideas about it. And if I do add in new things, it'll just be any new observations. I don't think my ideas will change until the game actually comes out. And you can be sure I'm going to get this game. So let's begin. As I've said, this is a new take on the franchise. So what we're about to see is again, quite different than what we normally get in a Pokemon game. And I'm not talking about Pokemon Sword and Shield. If you listen to my episode reviewing that game, you will know that it, there's like a mix of like disappointment and things like that. I, I liked it, but I didn't like it. It stirred a lot of mixed feelings. It did some things that are new. Pokemon Legends Ar Arceus is doing something that's on a fundamental level doing something quite different in a way that I don't think we've really seen with the core series games. So let's talk about the reveal. This portion is, so there's the reveal and then there's the explanation. The reveal is going to be the video footage that just shows us stuff. The explanation is what the people at Pokemon are telling us that we're seeing, you know? So the footage begins off by talking about the games entering a new era. And then it shows on a desk, a small stack of books and a Pokeball. I would like to mention that the Pokeballs that we see in this video are not, it, you'll notice that there are some hardware differences. So the bottom of the ball is actually wooden or appears to be wooden. And instead of a, uh, a button that we see in what we normally know as a Pokeball, this instead has a metal clasp. So it's, it kind of looks like a bit of like a lock, if you will. So even the tech is different and that's signifying that we're going back in time, folks. So it says entering a new era, but really this is what, uh, my friend cited this from somewhere online. I'm borrowing this phrase from my friend, so all credit goes to them. This is basically a, a pre-make. So the Sinnoh remakes are a remake, but this is supposed to be preceding that game, for example. So it's taking place in the same region known as Sinnoh, except we're going back to a very distant past, uh, back when the land was still being shaped. So we see that a certain village is, uh, through artwork, is inhabited by people. Pokemon are described to be living by the sea and in the mountains. So I'll also be describing the Pokemon that I saw in the video as I'm going. So we see artwork of Piplup, which is the starter Pokemon in the original Diamond and Pearl game. Uh, it's a penguin-based Pokemon. We see that by the water and some other water-type Pokemon in the background known as Sfeel and its middle-stage evolution, Celio. Uh, so we see that uh, the Pokemon are living in different environments. Then we see another Sinnoh-specific Pokemon known as Bidoof, which looks kind of a bit like a beaver, and it's located in this floral field. Uh, then we see the avatar, the characters that we will be playing as when the game gets released. We see the avatars running through, or I should say the avatar, running through what look like green village gates. So the roofs are green tiled and they kind of look like outposts. It's like a bit of a frame. So you walk into a town and you know that you're in a town, but it looks like they're exiting. Um, and then we get a glimpse of what these, the outfits the avatars are wearing. So some notes to make is that they look traditionally Japanese. That's a big part of the aesthetic of this introductory segment, which is the the books. It looks like picture scrolls that we see in uh, older Japanese artwork. And uh, it's really interesting, and this is an observation my friend noted, which is that um, there are there's lettering on the sleeve just below the shoulder for um, each of the avatar's outfits. And it's very reminiscent of the font that the, that's used in the Generation 4 games for the villain team. So Team Galactic has a specific logo. I'll be linking all this in the description. They have a specific logo. And for some reason, the same kind of border outline color 
and like font or whatever, it looks eerily similar on the sleeves of the avatar. Um, so I'll get into that a bit more when I actually start theorizing. Anyways, we see more footage of like a of a nature path with a Pokemon known as Shinx uh, just roaming about. Um, also throughout this video, we do see the avatars throwing Pokeballs and things like that. Um, in the background, there's a lot of nature. So a lot of the things that we see in this video are pretty inconspicuous. It's not easy to place. Again, I'm going to be theorizing about this in the next section, uh, but you're seeing a lot of nature. So because this is a distant past, obviously we don't have a lot of pre-established settlements, outlined paths like roads and things like that, where Pokemon are meant to inhabit. It, a lot of that is pretty, uh, pretty vague at this at this point, it's pretty foggy. We see some Pokemon battles that are also just kind of occurring out in the wild. We see a floral field, which is inhabited by uh, Pokemon known as Chingling and Bronzor. Uh, Bronzor is a metallic Pokemon, thought that was kind of interesting. Then we see a Garchomp and a Gallade battling out in a field. The Gallade appears to be um, uh, al allied with the Avatar, so, uh, it seems that the the the, per the character that we'd be playing as, if we were to self-insert, um, our Pokemon would be the Gallade, and we're fighting a wild Garchomp. These are two Pokemon that are that are also that were also new to the franchise when they were introduced. So Garchomp only came into the franchise as a Pokemon in 2006, and the same goes for Gallade. Um, and while this battle is taking place, we see these like this body of water behind them. There's some isolated land masses on uh, along the water on the water. Um, so again, lots of nature that we're seeing. Then we see the regional bird Pokemon of Sinnoh known as Starly. It's just kind of running through a field. We also see Chimchar, which is a another starter Pokemon. It's nighttime in the footage and there is uh there are torches that are lit along a path and then we see the avatar also ca uh, capturing the chimchar see some more battles we see some more pokemon like budu which is this bud grass pokemon uh and in the distance we see mount coronet so again links it'll all be in the description but in this game one of the main locales that the player has to both go through and visit quite often it's even part of the story is a mountain called mount coronet it splits the center of the region in the game so in order to get to certain places you have to go through this mountain no matter what uh and it has multiple entrances anyways we see more shots of like a natural bridge that's leading up to this mountainous area we see a pikachu just kind of hiding in the fields there's a river underneath this natural bridge we see turtwig the other the third starter pokemon so we've seen piplup and chimchar so far in the footage and then now we now we're seeing turtwig um there are lowlands and a small gorge in the background and also a like a noticeably large tree in the distance uh then we get a shot of the avatar running through what looks like a gate it might not be the same one that we saw earlier in the video um but it looks like the entrance to maybe a town or it might be an outpost area or something and there are bells that are located um on those like turrets or whatever uh then we see a shot of the starter Pokemon that we are going to see in this game. There's also shown earlier in the footage. I didn't quite mention it because it's shown through like that picture scroll artwork aesthetic, but we also get a shot of the starter Pokemon all lined up in a room. There's a red carpet uh, and it looks like an, like an office space. The furniture is wooden. In the background, we see what looks like, this is probably where the professor of the game, I'm going to get a bit more into this because in the explanation section, this is probably where the professor of the game, this is their office or something. We see flags as well that are black and yellow. And um, there are uh, um, the text that we see on the sleeves of the avatars is also seen on the flags. The letters are not entirely clear though. and maybe at a later time if i look a bit more closely i might decipher that and then finally we see this kind of foggy space area and arceus is revealed to us then we are given an explanation as to all the things that we've seen so mount coronet is supposed to tower over the center of the region um we see that a uh pokemon so it's described the pokemon live freely in the wild um live in harsher environments though 
Um, so this seems to imply that there's like a... I know I'm kind of blending my theory a little bit with the explanation here, but I, I do have some more descriptive thoughts coming up. But this seems to imply that there is a bit of separation between, let's say, the humans or the inhabitants of this land and the Pokemon themselves. So it is mentioned then that po uh, bleh, people and Pokemon don't ever say those two words after each other because they just get put. So people have journeyed to Sinnoh from all over as described in the video. They found it a prosperous village to learn more about this land. So the humans have come to a place that seems to already have been inhabited by Pokemon. Uh, I thought that was an interesting touch. What exactly does that imply if uh, people weren't already living there? Although I guess you could posit that there were people that were already um, living on this land that would that is known as Sinnoh. Um, but then other people are coming from far and wide. Uh, it is then said that the starter Pokemon were brought to land, uh, like brought to this land by a certain professor who, quote, in who encountered them by traveling across various regions, end quote. Uh, that's another interesting thing. So I'm going to talk about the starter Pokemon because I don't actually believe I described them uh, in the beginning in the reveal section. So the three starter Pokemon that we get are Rowlet, who comes from the Generation 7 games of Sun and Moon and Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. We get Cyndaquil, which comes from the Generation 2 games, uh, Gold, Silver, and Crystal. And then we get Oshawott, which comes from the Generation 5 games of Black and White and Black 2 and White 2. Interesting, we have our three starter Pokemon are not new starter Pokemon, and they are also not Sinnoh starters. The Sinnoh starter Pokemon are Piplup, Chimchar, and Turtwig. So it's interesting that we are getting three different starter Pokemon from three different regions. Interesting. The video then states that the quest here is to create Sinnoh's very first Pokedex, or rather, I think it's, it's basically saying the very first Pokedex in existence. Um, the player is expected to engage in Pokemon battles alongside allies that they catch. So, for example, the Gallade that we saw in that video, it's presumed that it was either evolved or caught, and now the player can use it. So you gotta incorporate catching and battling as you would in any other Pokemon game, and ultimately complete the Pokedex. So, then it's also said that Arceus shaped all that is in the world, and how. So, uh... We can't really talk about this without talking about Arceus. Arce you know what? I'm just going to say Arceus. Screw it. So Arceus in Pokemon lore is said to... It's it's supposed to be this progenitor figure. It's supposed to have created everything. I think there's some... Uh, don't quote me on this. I'll link it so you can actually read the proper description for it. But I think it was born from like an egg in a time of chaos or something. But then once it emerged, it eventually gave life to everything in terms of Pokemon. Uh, and that's specific to Sinnoh. We first hear about Arceus in the Generation 4 games. Arceus is not mentioned, nor is it foreshadowed, I don't think, in the previous games. Uh, so anyways, we also noticed that in a lot of footage that shows the village that the player originates from, is that there are buildings with tiled roofs that are all colored green, pink, and purple. So my knowledge of Pokemon buildings that have colored roofs in like previous games, they usually signify the purpose of the building. Um, so pink is interesting because one of the box art legendary Pokemon for Pearl, for example, is pink. The other one's blue. So purple obviously doesn't correlate. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the significance of the colors would be, but I would think that it implies just maybe the functional purpose of what that does in the town. Maybe it might serve a completely different uh, purpose than what buildings we normally get that are staple in the main games that we've been familiar with up until this point. But it might also just be like the prototype for the buildings that we eventually see. For example, the Pokemon Center in every Pokemon game and every core series Pokemon game has a red colored roof. I don't know color theory and stuff, but pink I don't know, variants, words. Anyways, um, again, like I was talking about with the very nature, like natural pastoral footage that we see, we see a lot of shots of the avatar running through fields. We get a very specific shot of um, the male avatar running along a field. It looks like an elevated landmass, and below it is like this 
pretty big lake. Um, and uh, it's also like an enclosed space. So we can see in the distance that there's actually like an entrance way to the lake. And it's like, we're looking down above and below. So then we see that lake, but he, he's running away from it anyways. Then we also get a panoramic view of the Sino landscape. So, and a lot of the footage that we see incorporates aspects of the low lying part. So we see low lying lands, bunch of rivers, paths, and what appears to be a cave entrance in the distance. Although that might that might be, let's say, a shrine. Um, maybe it's the entrance to a village. Maybe it is a village itself. Um, it's not entirely clear, but there's this uh, kind of shot that it looks like a glowing light. It looks like a cave entrance to me, um, but that's my uh, interpretation. So, uh, some of the things I was thinking about before I get into theorizing, here are some of the observations and thoughts I was having. So again, we have our three starter Pokemon that come from three different regions. Interesting. So we now have a sense that people came to this land and they also come from different regions. So up until this point in the franchise, what are all the regions that the players have been able to explore? Whether or not you have played all the games, know all the games, blah, 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 here are the regions that we have in chronological order in terms of when they were introduced in the franchise. It starts with Kanto, then Johto, which is canonically conjoined to Kanto. So um, I've mentioned this a bunch of times in my previous Pokemon episodes, but these two regions are linked. So Kanto is on its own, um, you only realize that the two regions are actually linked uh, once you get to Generation 2, Gold, Silver, Crystal. So after you beat the main game in Johto, you can eventually travel to Kanto. Then following this is Hoenn, which is uh, more reminiscent of like, like of the archipelago geography that we get with Japan um, in the real world. Um, and uh, that's just kind of like an island almost on its own, really. The next we get Sinnoh. Sinnoh's quite big, vast. It's got snow. It's got this mountain called Mount Coronet. It's got a lot of different environments, really. I really like Sinnoh, personally. Then we have Unova, which is more city-based. It appears to be based off of New York, possibly. Um, uh, there's You still will always have elements, uh, like big elements of nature in all of these games, but Unova in particular feels more city-oriented. Then we get Kalos, which appears to be based off of Paris. And uh, again, still get nature, but the cityscape is a lot stronger. Um, then next we have Alola, which is very obviously based off of Hawaii. It's a proper archipelago and there's like four or five islands, don't quote me on that, in the game that you can travel to by boat, cool. Then we have Galar. Galar is based off of the United Kingdom and uh, like the geography is almost exactly. The environment and, you know, meteorology, like weather, how accurate is the climate and stuff? Not very, but that's beside the point. Um, so we have had all of these regions that are in existence. And I think one of the broader theories that one, I will talk about in the future and two that have been circulating for quite a while among fans who know lore and geography quite well how are all these lands connected? What are, like, what, are, what are their relationships? I believe Kanto, Johto, Hoenn, and Sinnoh are actually based off of specific um, regions in Japan itself. So if you actually like trace out the shape of the land, I'm pretty sure it correlates to an actual part of Japan. What the environments and stuff, like the environments and stuff, I don't think there's a direct correlation. But uh, one thing people do try and piece together, myself included, is where are people located? How long does it take to travel between, let's say, Kanto and Sinnoh, for example? We get numerous references across all of the games of hikers or travelers or tourists, people who are coming from different regions to visit this one. Um, some of it's canon, some of it's not, um, but uh, we do get a lot of those kinds of references. In fact, in Pokemon Sun and Moon, um, which again, I have repeatedly mentioned is one of, like, it's basically the first game in the core series to actually change the formula. Um, not the gameplay fundamentally, but the formula is definitely different. Um, you, as the avatar and the mother character that you've traveled with, you have, I think, I'm pretty sure you have come from Kanto. 
So you've traveled from Kanto to go to this place that's based off of Hawaii. Um, we know this is this, this is a fact. But why Sinnoh? Why is Sinnoh at the center of this, right? And I mean, my in, my in, like in, instinctive thought, that's a word, right? My instinct was to think that it has to do with Arceus. Because if Arceus is supposed to be the progenitor Pokemon, the Pokemon that created all Pokemon or life or something like that, if it's supposed to have that title and that power, and it, it said that it shaped the world, then um, does that put Sinnoh at the center of Pokemon lore, of Pokemon origins? So it's like, where did Pokemon first originate? It would be the same as saying like, um, for lack of a better example, you know, where did the first elephants in existence? Where did they, where could you find them first? Where are they now kind of thing? Um, we really, we only have, I think three species really um, of, of that surviving family. We have the Indian elephant, then we have the, um, the two uh, African elephants. Anyways, um, that's, that's a digression. But it's like, where, where does Sinnoh fit into all of this and why Sinnoh, right? Uh, the thing is that for anyone that knows the Generation 4 games and also Pokemon lore in general, you will know that this game has a ton of lore. It is very concerned with lore, the way that legendary fig like legendary Pokemon figure into the story. You go to specific locations that deal with the Pokemon that created things, uh, which includes Arceus and the box art legendaries and in Pokemon Platinum, the rejected legendary Pokemon in a sense, Giratina, which rules over the distortion world, which I also kind of just like to call the equivalent of Pokemon Hell. Um, Cause it's like, it's it's like another world or whatever. The underworld, you, you know, you know, you, you know what I'm going for. Um, but yeah, that was one thing that I was thinking about. So Sinnoh as a place that brings people together, Sinnoh as a place where people travel to and eventually settled so they could study Pokemon more. But it's like the the Pokemon franchise really loves Kanto because of that being the very first region. And a lot of the Pokemon that we see in that game are constantly reintroduced in all the later games. We never have a Pokemon game without the Kanto Pokemon. So no matter where you go, you're always gonna get them. The same cannot be said for certain like other regions. Like you're not gonna necessarily get all the Hoenn Pokemon in later regions. And the same can be said for the Sinnoh Pokemon. So again, very really interesting thoughts. But that's not proper grammar. Anyways, I'm going to quickly list some of the Pokemon that we do see in the video and why it's important to mention. So we see, and this is not in order of appearance, but we see Starly, the regional bird Pokemon. We see Shinx, which is kind of the regional cat Pokemon, if you will. Um, Staraptor, which is Starly's final evolution. Riolu, um, Lucario, Gallade, Bidoof, Rhyhorn, which is not a generation four Pokemon that was introduced in generation one. Chimchar, Turtwig, Piplup, which are the Sinnoh Pokemon starters, Cyndaquil, Oshawott, which are being introduced as the official starters of this Pokemon game, Sveal and Celio, Chingling, Bronzor, Pikachu. Uh, there's also Badu, I believe, as well. There might have been one or two that I missed. Um, oh yeah, Garchomp, of course. Anyways, uh, not a comprehensive list. What exactly does this mean, though? So, I believe that Chingling was introduced... Um, it's that yellow bell looking thing, that yellow bell looking Pokemon that's just kind of floating. And then you should see like these like, like really muted, like blue-ish green discs that are just levitating in the background. That's Bronzor. Um, so Chingling and Bronzor, I believe were introduced in generation four. Pikachu, as we know, was not. Sveal and Celio come from generation three. Oshawa comes from generation five. And I believe it's the only Pokemon that we see in this non-finalized footage that comes from a generation after generation four. Cyndaquil comes from generation two. Um, Lucario, Gallade, Bidoof, Garchomp, Riolu, all introduced in generation four. And the same as can be said for Starly, Staraptor, Shinx, and Badu. So again, what does this all mean? I just listed a bunch of Pokemon. You probably don't know what they look like, what their names mean, what they are, blah, blah, blah. So the thing is, is that, like I said, Oshawott is the only one that comes from a later region, if you will. It's hard to place 
geography and like it's hard to place geography in the sense that it's like we don't know ex exactly when things happen the games and that's what makes the theorizing of this game pretty rich which is that we don't know exactly what starts when how why um although this game seems to be posing that question that Sinnoh is potentially an origin location for all of pokemon maybe possibly um uh but we also have some you know generation three pokemon we have some, we have mostly generation four Pokemon, which we're seeing. So it's like a lot of what we see in the actual game, like the, you know, diamond and pearl, for example, they're still around. So the starter Pokemon, um, and this is something that was discussed in uh, like my starter Pokemon episode. Um, starter Pokemon are meant to be rare. The whole point is that when you first start off the game, you get to pick this really unique Pokemon that you can't find anywhere else in the game. And that's your partner if you, choose that to be the case like that's your partner for your entire playthrough um and you can only pick one out of the three but in this footage we see um chimchar and turtwig out in the wild um and and the same with piplup as well so the starter pokemon of Sinnoh are not yet the starter pokemon our starter pokemon as i mentioned before are rowlet oshawott and syndical which all come from regions that are not Sinnoh. so this region um sorry not region this game might be posing the idea that uh the localization and regional forms of pokemon or whatever this is a time before any of those kinds of things happen so i guess kind of like uh maybe not invasive poke as uh, in sorry <laughs> invasive animals like that's not the best equivalent because invasive does it can denote like a negative term but the starter Pokemon of Rowlet, Syndical, and Oshawott were brought to this place. They weren't already here. The history then is that at some eventual point, Chimchar, Turtwig, and Piplup, because they are actual residents of the Sinnoh region, they would eventually become the starter Pokemon or something. Or maybe they're, they, they, they just decreased in population and they, they became more rare. I don't know po Pokemon conservation methods, but I just think that that's an interesting touch. The fact that not only are people coming to this land, and this is a new experience for the people that are settling down here, the Pokemon are being brought here too. And more to the point of the humans in this game, uh, we only see one village, but I think it's implied that there is like a network or at least a forming network that we see in this game. So I noticed that in this uh, video, we see, um, I mentioned at one point that there's like a large tree that we see in the distance and I'm theorizing that this path that we see one of the avatars running along it leads to that place um it's part of some of the lower lying uh areas um in the greenery but we see the avatar running down this kind of natural path and we see what I think is an important observation we see lit torches um so and we also see fragmented columns and steps so things have already been here maybe an ancient society inhabited this land before the people that we see in the game now have settled down so maybe there are even more ancient structures that we can find in this game uh and also like i said it's a torch lit path someone has to light the, tor the torches right and they're on these wooden like they're pitched on wooden sticks so someone has to light them someone's already scouted out this place for someone to walk along. The people who are settling down here, it's possible that some people have already been scouting out the land and figuring out how to get where. So even in the if the interaction with Pokemon is kind of in this limited space right now, and what I mean by that is that in the newer games, Pokemon and their relationship with humans is almost, it's, it's just taken for granted. We just accept that that's the relationship and there is that symbiotic relationship, there is that, that codependency. That's just something we know, understand, and the games fully assert. Here, it seems a bit more murky because it's like, well, if you if your quest is to literally create the first ever Pokedex, which means cataloging all the Pokemon that you can find in this land, then, uh, you know, going out in the wild, that must mean that the humans haven't interacted that much with Pokemon. Maybe they're avoiding them. Maybe they're scared of them. Who knows? So now I'm finally going to get to the theorizing part.
So, obviously, <laughs> I've talked about a lot of things. I've done a lot of talking. Um, what exactly is there to theorize about now, though? So, I, once again, am going to talk about Rowlet, Syndical, and Oshawa. I, this is talked about in a lot more detail in the starter Pokemon episode, but I actually think there's a very specific reason that these three Pokemon were chosen in particular. So one thing that I noted that in the reveal, when we see that initial game footage, is that it has a particularly Japanese aesthetic. It looks very Japanese. Um, and I found that really interesting because uh, Sword and Shield, it feels more like it's it, it's going for the vibe of the UK. It looks like it, it, that's what it's going for. This game though, it just, it feels very Japanese in a way that we haven't seen in a long time and in a way that we've seen in earlier Pokemon games. Um, so, I'll, but I'll talk about the starter Pokemon again before I digress. So why Rowlet? Rowlet is an, based off of an owl. Um, and I believe that it is actually based off of a deceased species of bird that were located in Hawaii, which is why its final form, Decidui, ends up being a, a ghost, a grass ghost type. Um, Rowlet's the grass starter of its region. It begins as a grass flying type for its first two stages, and then it becomes grass ghost. So, and that's cool lore because it's like, well, it's actually based off of a bird that went extinct. That's why it's a ghost, because death. Um, that's cool. Decidui also has an archer uh, appearance. So Decidueye's wing, it can form like a bow and then it draws arrows. It's a really cool motif in my opinion. Um, but yeah, archery, interesting, right? So um, Rowlet will eventually become a very, like a combatant uh, owl with anthropomorphic traits. Now, again, this might be a bit reaching, but, and if you don't know Legend of Zelda, that's okay. But that game uses a lot of owl motifs in older games and even in uh, Breath of the Wild, which was uh, released in 2017 and also is not like a remake, it's an entirely new game. So I actually think the Nintendo franchise really likes the motif of owls. So Nintendo is a video game company based in Japan. So it, the, the Japanese aesthetic, the choice to use an owl I don't know, owls, I think, can symbolize knowledge and things like that, too, like learning wisdom, wisdom. Uh, so uh, I thought that might be an interesting thread. But then how do we explain the other two? Oshawott is actually a little bit easier to explain. I mentioned this, in this I'm repeating myself so much. I'm so sorry. Um, but Oshawott is based off of a seal. It'll eventually, I think, become it'll have like sea, sea lion attributes in its final form known as Samurott. Um, but it has like a shell on its chest, um, which eventually becomes like a helmet in its final form. Uh, it is uh, specifically noted in the kind of, uh, I guess, artist notes or whatever for this Pokemon that is supposed to be merging samurai uh, aesthetics with this sea, uh, sea lion seal type Pokemon. Um, Begins as a, pi a biped, ends up as a quadruped. Uh, it's fine. I quite like it. But it's it has an armored look to it, especially in its final form. And because it's explicitly supposed to be like samurai, um, uh, like it, it's a seal with samurai attributes. Again, Japanese. Maybe not the, the seal part. Or I think it's also slightly based off of an otter. I might be wrong. Um, but... Uh, finally, that brings us to Cyndaquil. I have a point here, folks. Don't worry, I'm about to make it. So why Cyndaquil? Cyndaquil is kind of, it, it's not obscure, but newer fan, like newer Pokemon players probably wouldn't know this as well as maybe the other starter Pokemon that we see because it's the fire type from generation two. Um, it looks like it's based off of like a weasel type creature and things like that. Any of those related species. Um, uh, rodent-like, if you will. Maybe, possibly, a bit of an anteater because of its long snout, although it becomes more short and stubby and looks, I think, 
more closely to like a weasel in its final form as Typhlosion. But it's like, it's it's a pretty simple design. It's not the most like standout starter Pokemon to pick out of. Like there are other fire type Pokemon, like fire type starter Pokemon that have way more like flash and jazz or something. Like there, there's there's a lot of other fire, fire type starter Pokemon that have more exciting designs. Cyndaquil is quite simple and all of its stages are. Why Cyndaquil? My theory is that this might be based off of um, a specific uh, yokai, or uh, I think that loosely means like it's not it's not spirit, it's not a ghost, but it it is. Uh, again, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, um, but it is a creature of some type. And uh, from one famous writer from the 18th century, known as uh, Toyama Sekien, he wrote. Um, like he made a catalog basically he listed around like 200 different kinds of yokai that you can find in japan basically monsters if you will um one of them is called kama itachi which uh translates to a sickle weasel um and it's actually like a fusion between like a chinese deity and uh some i think it also pulls some threads from uh, japanese folklore and things like that but it's based off of a weasel Okay, and that's the that's the kicker here, is that because Cyndaquil appears to be based off of that kind of animal, um, it's also known at least in uh, this in Japanese folklore, for example, that these kind of creatures also exist. Um, uh, I think there's like another like um, there's another one that's associated with fire though a bit more closely. I might be misremembering, but anyways, this is to say that Cyndaquil, Oshawott, um, and uh, Rowlet all seem to have these kind of mythological eerie origins although I would say Rowlet's is the least let's say Japanese rooted and I'm not trying to assert that it's like this game is entirely it's like wholly Japanese but it's very clear from the aesthetic the music all that stuff the way things look it just it just looks really Japanese um, and not in like the stereotypical fashion like this is touching on um, like uh picture scrolls again from like the 18th century for example and earlier um so these three starters are they based on yokai for example yokai again it's it's a it's a difficult word to define in english we'll just loosely loosely use the term monsters and of course this franchise means pocket monsters so it's like the perfect connection right um I don't think, this is my point, finally, um, that the choice of these three specific starters from three different regions, I don't think it's accidental. I think there's some kind of connection here. I don't know that they're necessarily going to explore these. I just I just thought that that was an, um, an interesting connection. Um, again, uh, some like questions I had were about Sinnoh being the origin land. But when you look at the geography, how does this compare to the Sinnoh geography we actually get in the games that we know? Uh, I'm planning to probably do a bit more of a closer comparison because right now I'm mostly doing this from memory in terms of what I remember from Sinnoh geography. But I mentioned that there are floral fields that you see certain Pokemon like bleh, certain Pokemon like Bidoof running through. Um, the thing is, is that it's going to be difficult to assert how closely the Sinnoh of Pokemon Legends um, Arceus how that translates to what we see now. I don't think it's gonna be like an exact translation. So what we see in Pokemon Legends uh, Arceus, lands shift, things change with time. I don't know that it's gonna be exact, but that floral field uh, reminds me of Flo Aroma Town, which is this really small town that's just flooded with flowers uh, that is slightly that is uh north of the starting town that you begin in and that's the other question to pose so twin leaf town is the town that the player first begins the game in that's your home and you live there with your mom thing is wow wow that really happened i'm keeping that in thing is is that uh the village that we see in the footage it doesn't look like Twin Leaf Town, and it also looks kind of big. So that would mean that, well, in this game, you are actually probably starting off somewhere geographically 
closer to Mount Coronet. So if Mount Coronet is supposed to be the kind of center of this region, which it is and still is, sorry, which it which it is in Pokemon Legends um, Arceus and it still is in the actual like Sinnoh game that we get now, whatever. Um, uh, there are specific towns that are quite close to Mount Coronet that might have this lore folklore, whatever it ha might have a closer connection. So there's a very good chance that we're not starting off in the relative location as Twin Leaf Town, which is in the southwest corner of Sinnoh. I don't think we're starting off there. I think we're starting off more mainland when we begin this game. So that begs the next question, where? Mount Coronet, uh, like I mentioned in the observations, like in terms of the explanation uh, or reveal, I don't remember. Um, there appears to be like a cave entrance. Okay. Thing is, is that in the games now, like when we see Sinnoh now, there are multiple cave entrances. There are multiple places where you can enter Mount Coronet from. Uh, and depending on where you enter from, it'll take you to certain places. If you go to the right entrance of the, like, of the mountain, it'll take you to certain places that you wouldn't be able to access from a different entrance. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head exactly how many entrances there are to Mount Coronet. But I do know that there are at least four. So let's start off with the western side of the map. So there are two possible places really, but I think there, there's a stronger case for one of them. We have Eterna City, and then we have uh, Orberg Mine. So, uh, sorry, Orberg City. So Orberg City is one of the first places the player gets a chance to go to. Eterna City comes a little bit later and it's the location of the second gym in the game. It, the thing is that it's harder to make a case for Orberg City just because it's more like about mining and stuff in the current games like now. In this, Eterna City is explicitly like, it's like a lore city. We have a statue of the box art legendary Pokemon and it could look like either box art legendary Pokemon. So it's like, I, I thought that's kind of cool. Um, but it specifically deals with uh, tales about legendary Pokemon that help to shape the land. Depending on which version you'll get, it'll tell you tell you a slightly different version. And I should I should also mention that I did say something about the villain team of of the of Sinnoh. Team Galactic has one of their headquarters located in Eterna City, and their leader is actually their leader Cyrus is actually quite interested with lore in the sense that he wants to control his main goal is to control legendary Pokemon. Uh, to destroy everything. It's a very romantic and poetic goal to have, sure. Um, but uh, in any case, there, there he has that um, ambition, if you will. So Eterna City could be a potential place where geographically we might start things off. For one, the place is surrounded, it's like it's surrounded by mountainous ranges and we see a lot of that in this footage. Um, uh, Eterna City is right next to the corresponding Eterna Forest. So again, nature is like pretty, pretty closely tied with this area. Um, it's not as low lying though, because that's another thing. And a lot of these things my friend helped me with, bless their soul. Um, one thing that my friend and I observed is that it also, the village that the players will start off the game in, it looks a bit more, again, low lying land. I know I've said that a lot, triple L's, but um, if it's a bit lower, Eterna City is kind of on the slightly more elevated side of things, if you will. You have to work your way up to get to there. You go through Floraroma Town, you go through some paths, there's, there's entrance to the forest, and then once you get out of the forest, you turn, what are directions, right? You turn right, and then that's how you get there. That's one way of getting there, really. Um, but, uh, maybe it might be, it might be Eterna City, though. So if we look to the Eastern side of the map, the thing is, is that um, of the two places that you could emerge towards if you exit Mount Coronet, uh, the closest city in Sinnoh that we get right now is called Hearthome City, which is more like, it's more it's more of like a metropolis. It's more developed as a city. It's uh, still quite close to nature, but it's, it's, it's not what I would actually think would be a place that uh, the players would start the game off in because the connection I'm trying to draw here is that, like I said with the starter Pokemon in this game and their potential connection to yokai um, monsterology, basically, 
is that in the in its Sinnoh-geography that we've known up until this point, how does that correlate to this older Sinnoh? Are there correlations and what are the places best associated with it? So like I said, geographically, Orberg City and Eterna City seem to be the best cases on the Western side. Um, and also that you're not near like a huge vast ocean because there are certain cities slash towns in this game that are uh, closer to the water. The land that we see in this one is much more inland. This isn't to say that we don't see shores and water, because we definitely do. It just seems like where you will start off um, in the game, it's more inland. Anyways, continuing. The place that, uh, and this is something my friend was also theorizing, um, something that uh, another potential location might be Solacion Town. This is a quite a small place. It actually is like, I think it's the home to the Pokemon daycare of this game. So it's like got this like ranch kind of feel to it. Lots of like nice fields around the place. And there also are some like ruins nearby too. So it's low lying, it's small. And because of the way that you get into the places, uh, it's not, it's, it's, it doesn't directly link to Mount Coronet. Like if you exit Mount Coronet on the Eastern side of Sinnoh, you're not going to directly get to this place, but there's a lot of nature surrounding Salacion town. And because it isn't that elevated, nor is it that, uh, it's not, it's not a cityscape. Again, a case can be made for Salacion town. And another thing my friend discussed was the potential for this final small town to be maybe where the player starts off of, starts off the... Screw grammar, right? Um, this might be where the player will begin their journey. So Eterna City is on the corresponding side. What we have on the eastern side of Sinnoh is Celestic Town. Celestic Town? Oh ho ho, the lore is rich, folks. We have a shrine here. We have a little cave with murals that depict the box art legendary Pokemon. No matter which version you pick, you will see both depicted in its amazing sprite work. The pixels are fantastic. Um. A grandma character tells you about this lore. El elders informing you about things. Uh, elders having wisdom. Oral tradition. That's what you get here. And this place does not have many inhabitants. And also, there is a direct like path once you go westward that leads to Mount Coronet. You exit out of Mount Coronet, you just gotta walk through some kind of slightly rocky areas, but then boom, you're in Celestic Town. Celestic Town is also like near this really foggy path that you have to navigate through the game that's really annoying from a gameplay standpoint. But anyways, it's a lot smaller than Eterna City, but it, it's it's probably the most lore-packed um, area in this game, in my opinion. Uh, out of all the places that you can go to in this game, uh, it's, it's like, I, yeah, I think you can make a very strong case for Celestic Town being geographically where you would start off. Okay, so I've rambled a ton about the land, and also, if it was, if it's not already clear, you have to make sure that you actually watch the direct video, otherwise my observations aren't going to make much sense. Um, another thing I wanted to touch on is that there are specific um, screenshots uh, or whatever panoramic views that we get of the Sinnoh landscape that intrigued me. So, um, Again, this is more like Sinnoh stuff, so I apologize for the lack of uh, preliminary info. But there are three lakes in this game. There is Lake Verity, Lake Valor, and Lake Acuity. So Lake Acuity is located in the northernmost point of Sinnoh. It's covered in snow. It's great. Lake Verity is closest to where the player begins the game in Twinleaf Town, so it's very easy to access. And in Diamond and Pearl, that's where you get your starter Pokemon, um, I believe. And then Lake Valor is, it's actually south of uh, Salacion Town, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I remember my Sinnoh geography. <laughs> but anyways, we have these lakes, and in the center of those lakes are these little, are these small islands um, with a cave. Inside the cave, we have a design um, on the... Uh, um, the, the surf, surface. When you walk inside the cave, there's like basically outlined puddles. There's a design. There's it looks like a rune, maybe scripture, something. Uh, it, and it's very specific. It's not like they're just like random puddles or anything. Like these are actually proper, like dug, like small trenches basically where water has pooled, and it's 
it's it's pixelated and 32 bit, so obviously it doesn't look that complicated. But each of them have a very specific design, and I do think that has some relevance to lore, though I don't know specifically how to uh, decipher it. Simply because it's not, it doesn't look like script or like a written text, like a letter. It doesn't look like those things. It just looks like a design. But each of the lakes and the respective caves that are located in the center of those lakes have these patterns, basically, um, on the floor of that cave. I the panoramic view that I was describing before where you see uh, the player on this elevated landscape. I, I, I mentioned that you might be able to see a cave in the distance or something like that. So I don't know what this might mean, but I did see some like below on the lower lying lands. There, there are also like rivers or, uh, I don't know, puddles or paths that look reminiscent of um, uh, those same kind of designs. So maybe the lakes have yet to form, or maybe th this is just a geography thing. Maybe I'm stretching uh, a little bit to analyze that, but I thought that was kind of interesting. And another thing is that this game does not show at all. What about the lake trio and the box art legendary Pokemon, and also the kind of hidden third one in that trio of legendary Pokemon? They are not mentioned at all in this. We only know about Arceus. Um, so to briefly describe, basically the main legendary Pokemon that we get in this game is what's called the Lake Trio because they originate at these three lakes. So we get Azel, Uxie, and Mesprit, each um, inhabiting a certain trait. So this isn't uh, in order or perspective of the one that I, ones that I just described, but it's knowledge, will, I think it's, so it's willpower, knowledge, and then emotion. Uh, and the lakes are kind of like their homes, basically. And then the box art legendary um, are these like dinosaur-like looking Pokemon called Dialga and Palkia. So Dialga has like a diamond uh, uh, in its chest with humongous crests. It's a quadruped, it's blue, and it's very cool. And then we have Palkia, which is a biped. It's pink, has pearls on these, basically these like really cool shoulder pad-like things kind of sort of has wings, I think, I don't, I don't know. Um, they're both very like, uh, they're both dragon types. Um, they also have secondary, like another typing for each of them. That's not important, but we don't get any mention of them in uh, in the video. We don't see them at all. They're not, they're not talked about at all. Same goes for the lake, the lake trio. Um, so that, that made me wonder. It's like, is this game, uh, putting Palkia, Dialga, and then also Giratina, which I said is basically like, it, it resides in the Pokemon underworld known as the distortion world. Um, don't get any mention of that guy either. Although we don't get any mention of, of uh, Giratina really, even in the main games until Pokemon Platinum, because that's that's its game. Why aren't they mentioned at all? Why aren't the other legendary Pokemon that feature very prominently in the lore that we see in the games now? Why don't we see them mentioned at all in this video? Um, uh, at this point, if Arceus is already in existence and it's already created life and Pokemon, we're not going back to the origins of Pokemon itself. We're not, this isn't the beginning of everything. A lot of things, like I've said, have already been established. Uh, so that must mean that these, po these legendary Pokemon are all in existence, but have they developed their purpose yet? So Dialga, uh, Dialga is associated with time and Palkia is associated with space and respective of the two, they created those things. They created, Dialga created time, Palkia created space. Uh, the lake trio inhabits their specific traits and that's what they imparted, I guess, to Pokemon the land. Um, but yeah, like I said, not mentioned at all. So, and this is the, so before I forget, um, I mentioned the whole thing about Team Galactic. Why is that important? I also mentioned that on the sleeves of the avatar characters, we see the font, color, shape of the writing or whatever, the the words, letters on the sleeve look reminiscent of the Teen Galactic logo. So what does this mean? Team Galactic in Sinnoh, as we see them now, they are futuristic. There's like a space motif. I mean, it kind of makes sense. And the villain, you know, admins, Jupiter, Mars, Saturn, I believe, um, Charon as well, um, I think. 
Uh, I should really know these things. This is supposed to be my like favorite Pokemon games. Anyways, um, there, there's like a space motif to it, astronomically speaking, when it comes to like space. So uh, futuristic, all that jazz. But why, why does this text look like, why does this font color, why does it look the same as the Team Galactic logo? And that's what the avatars wearing on their sleeve. So is this maybe how Team Galactic uh, started off? If the beginning of society on Sinnoh for humans um, and, you know, your primary researchers, it's a kid who's trying to create a Pokedex and a certain professor that we don't know about um, bringing in Pokemon to help uh, with this process, I guess. Uh, you know, are we if if this is the beginning of society in Sinnoh? How does how does Team Galactic figure into this? We're Team Galactic, um, as per the goals of the leader. Because if I'm going to be completely honest, the the grunts and the admins seem kind of disconnected from the goals of the actual boss himself. Like Cyrus seems to just be completely operating on his own, and it's like I'm just stringing along these fools. They don't actually know what's going on. He is he has a very specific goal in mind, but it's not clear to anyone. But you as the player and him what that is he he's interested in lore just like i would be so uh that that is my question though in in short in short do we do we get the early emergences of you know let's say maybe cyrus's ancestors or someone that would eventually like like who would have descendants and then that person would teach cyrus or something because we do learn a little bit of Cyrus, especially in Pokemon Platinum. We do learn a little bit about how he used to be this like really, you know, fun guy who's just really enthusiastic about Pokemon until he became like a, a Niholist. So it's like, okay then. Um, but that's a that's another question that intrigued me. Here's another strange observation. So in Pokemon Sword and Shield, there was DLC that was released uh, this last year last year um that was released last year and it came in two um expansion passes first was the isle of armor and then the second was uh the um uh crown tundra so the isle of armor that sub story takes place on an archipelago to the east of galar of the region and you might be wondering why i'm mentioning this uh but that's because the outfit that you wear at the dojo that you have to train at and, you know, have to complete certain quests for, it's kind of sort of part of this mini, mini story that they have located here. The colors of that outfit, um, it's, it's like a, it merges elements of like a tracksuit with, um, like a karate outfit or whatever. Um, don't quote me on that. It's not, I don't, I don't know my martial art robes precisely, but it looks like that kind of vest with um, a belt in the middle, right? The color of that outfit, and you can look this up, is yellow and black. So the dominant color is yellow, and then the complementary colors are black. The flags that we see in what I presume to be the office space of the professor in this village, that flags, it reverses this color scheme. It's black, with then yellow complementing it. And that that's the yellow and the font, whatever the word letters, I can't do anything today, obviously. That's the text that we see on the sleeve of the avatars. So like institutions, people doing things, organizations, what does this mean, you know? So if you're the avatar and you're trying to research Pokemon, then you are technically part of a collective trying to research more about Pokemon and you have, um, an emblem to signify that, right? With a particular color scheme. The dojo in the Isle of Armor also has a similar emblematic aspect to it. It has a color scheme of specifically yellow and black. That comes back here. So is there some kind of thread that they're trying to pull here where it's like um, the way that certain, uh, I guess, collectives, people, institutions, how they have shifted over time. Uh, you know, I'm not saying this as definitive uh, or like a direct correlation per se, but it's like maybe what we start off seeing in Pokemon Legends Arceus is like we start off as the player as part of this collective that eventually becomes something like the dojo that we see in the Isle of Armor. 
Of course, Galar is a completely separate region from Sinnoh. And like I mentioned before repeatedly, we know that people have come to the land already. So there's a lot of transmission going on. We're seeing that things are being communicated across regions. The games have dipped their toes into that topic a little bit, but not uh, in, with, you know, they haven't done it uh, in much depth. Um, so again, another interesting observation. Um, I realize that I have probably been rambling for a very, 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 very long time. So, uh, again, this is, I wouldn't say the, like a huge conclusion to this video analysis. And obviously I talked about a whole lot of things. Um, so I may include like other, you know, sound bites and stuff for later. Like I might include other audio in case I see something I missed the first time, but these were my initial thoughts uh, of this reveal. I just think it's very interesting that um, the Pokemon franchise is doing this and the fact that Sinnoh is the center of it. Because, and this is something I think I forgot to mention, but Johto is another region that features very prominent Japanese aesthetics. There are certain places in the game uh, where you find the legendary Pokemon of either version that you get, especially in gold, um very 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 japanese um it's it's a really nice aesthetic it's really cool um that game though like the generation 2 games gold silver crystal are admittedly more japanese than let's say Sinnoh. Sinnoh is a lot more lore heavy though so I, i'm not entirely sure what they're trying to do here and also the fact that they're bringing in a generation 2 starter pokemon i mean i don't know i have a lot of thoughts as you can tell <laughs> Uh, this was the Lore Research Lab's findings on uh, the Pokemon franchise and the latest news about Pokemon Legends, Arceus, what it means, what we can learn from it, and, you know, thoughts going forward. I'm definitely, as you can probably tell, know here. This is going to be talked about again in the future because uh, I apologize for how, like, rambly and ranty this is. I may as well have just been like, oh, this is totally a rant. But no, I've called it a theory. It's just that I, I just needed to talk about this, you know? I didn't write a lot of things for this. I just had to, I just had to speak. Anyways, uh, thanks for tuning in, folks, and being patient with me. And I'll see you next time.